uh, Exodus chapter 19. This is when God tells Moses, I want you to prepare the people before they come before me. And I'm going to start it off there at verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words to the people of the Lord. The congregation gathered around this whole entire mountain and the Lord says, I'm going to appear before you in a dark cloud or in a thick cloud. You cannot see God's glory. Sinful man cannot gaze upon God. In our sinful state, we would just die. But it's awesome to know that the people that gathered around were able to listen to God himself speak to their mediator, their leader, Moses. As they gathered at the foothill of this mountain, God says, you know what? Everybody has to cleanse cleanse themselves. Do not even touch the foothill of the mountain. Not even touch the foot of it. It is going to be holy. Prepare yourselves. You will hear me speak to Moses. And what an awesome thing. Unfortunately, in the movie, The Ten Commandments, they had it backwards. Remember how Moses went off by himself and you see this tornado of fire, fire tornado, and you see these balls of fire shooting off and you see the finger of God writing down the Ten Commandments. Well, we see that happening later in the book of Exodus. But God spoke out these words to the people. And how does God's voice sound? We don't know, but we are told throughout the scriptures that it is through thunders, through the voice of many waters, a loud trumpet, it is loud for us to hear. But we are so blessed as Christians that he speaks to us in a still, small voice. He doesn't invade or intrude upon us. By his spirit, it's so gentle and loving that he approaches us in a different way. And not so much that it's so loud that we would be afraid of it, not like the booming voice, but rather the, small, the still small voice. All the congregation of Israel would hear the voice of God. Now, going back to what Professor Hawkins had taught, the secret of the secret, the meaning behind this, and if you really consider what it was, it's, what can I do for me? I want to fulfill my wealth, my desires, my dreams. It's all about me. Wasn't there a song, a country song, I want to talk about me, I want to talk about I, and so on, right? I mean, it was cute because he was with a girl. All she talked about was her own family and her own stuff. He said, hey, I want to talk about me once in a while. You might have seen movies to where there's a couple, you know, trying to get together. The guy's just doing talking, yak, 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 yak. He says, you know, enough about me. You know, you talk about me. And, you know, so it's more about feeding the ego. It's more about me. We've all been around small children. And like I've said before, it's mine, me, me, me. Little children always wanted about all themselves. It's all about me. And what Professor Craig had taught us about the secret, if you really listen to it, it was contrary to the Ten Commandments that God has listed here. Contrary. Remember what this one uh, scribe had asked Jesus Lord, or Master, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? And what did he reply? Basically, love God with all that you are. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor. Deny yourself. It's not about you. Deny yourself. And this is what this secret that Professor Hawkins had shared with us, that's what it's all about. It's all, no, you need to spoil yourself. You deserve the best. You deserve a break today. So get up and go away to McDonald's. 
kind of stuff. You know, you, you, you. No, it's not about you, you, you. And he also mentioned something called the law of attraction, feeding your self-serving desires. Basically, the mantra is will it, demand it, crave it. It's all about pride. Visualize it, see it, do it. One of the mantras that I was exposed to in the, in the late 80s was uh, in business. They had sent our entire company to this one po- um, motivational speaker in order for us to manufacture goods and take pride in our work. And they told us, here's your motto. If it's to be, it's up to me. Now, that should shock you because it's basically saying you are the master of your own destiny. Today, you rise up with a positive attitude, and this is how the day is going to end. I'm not going to let anybody get in my way. And that is contrary to what the Bible says. No, you do not have your own, uh, you do not steer your own ship, if you will. You can make decisions. And if anybody gets in my way to where, okay, well, that's my destination over there, and if somebody tries to intercept me, I'm not going to let them. Well, that is contrary to what the Bible teaches. The, uh, the, the, the secret also taught, you control your own destiny, you are perfect and divine. These are the small little things of these positive motivational speakers that we were encountered in, in the late 80s. The unfortunate thing, though, and I'm so glad that uh, Elder Mel... Uh, Mel Campbell had mentioned this concerning the self-serving person. It's not just in the secular world. It has leaked itself inside of the church. It's known as the prosperity movement. The name it and claim it and the blab it and grab it kind of stuff. You know, I desire this, oh God, your word says ask and I shall receive it. It's all about me. It's self-centered. Now, someone had given me this article called the potty driven life I don't know if you've heard about it but someone who uh, edited this article actually changed it to the potty driven church which was appropriate and what it is it's talking about how these uh, these churches that they try going for the growth movement they try to bring in numbers and no matter what it would take and their motto for this one church, I wish I, could, I wish I wrote this down because I looked on the actual website, I found it. it um, they had um, revamped their bathroom stalls, their entire bathroom for men. And basically their motto was, come for the bathroom and stay for the service. They're trying to entice people to come in in one way or another. And by the way, we also have God here, if you're interested. It's, it's unfortunate, you know, how these growth churches they implore jesus to come no we should implore people to come to the savior not for the bathroom Uh, we promote jesus not the amenities you know what a concept how it is if you go to a seeker friendly church nowadays they do not cheat they do not teach the word of god they teach topics and it's all about the self, how you can be a better neighbor, a better coworker, a better this, a better that. Well, what about the Word of God? And unfortunately, a lot of these growth churches, they feed upon what we're going to study upon the Tenth Commandment is covetousness, to covet. We are bombarded by this in the mass media through radio, through uh, newspapers, through the internet, especially in movies and television ads. 
You've got to have this. Your life will not be complete unless you have this. And so, yeah, you're the art. You're being fed all this constantly. I want it, I want it, I need it, I need it. And what is contrary, what God says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, he says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. This one here, it's an interesting commandment. But before we go any further, I want to explain that where this is mentioned also, you can always go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. That, ex- that gives you a listing of the Ten Commandments again. But there's an interesting order to this. If in, in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, where it talks about thou shalt not covet, or you shall not covet, it mentions the neighbor's house first. Yet in Deuteronomy chapter 5, it lists the wife first. Why the change? Well, for me, I've always placed my wife ahead of my own possessions. I don't know why Moses in Exodus chapter 20 wrote down your neighbor's house, but I would imagine that that would include in his entire property. From the outside looking in, you know, you see a neighbor's house and think, man, that house looks nice. I like the way they landscaped it. I like the way they decorate. I like, I want that house. And what lives inside the house is basically the inhabitants, the family. Wife comes out and the man goes, whoa, I wish my wife was like that. You know, and so on. So the man would covet everything else. In this case, now we see the, uh, by the time we get to Deuteronomy, I'm sure we have the full family aspect. The wife becomes first now above the property. Not listed as property, but along with it. And so Moses would mention in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, you should not covet your neighbor's wife first. And then everything, all, all his property later on. Proverbs chapter 31. It's a beautiful chapter if you have a chance to study up on that. And that is a tribute to you virtuous ladies. It's a tribute to the virtuous woman. In Proverbs chapter 31 verse 10 it says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. Beautiful. And I remember when I wrote that, I thought, wow, I wish I'd have said those words so I can write that on a Hallmark card and give it to my wife. You know, forget going out shopping. Those are the words I want to say. And it's beautiful. So if men ever have a chance to read that, uh, plagiarism. Let me just say anything about this. But she was a working woman. And she was a working woman? And they, they say, why don't you stay home and don't move at all, you know? Right. She's a working woman. And she brought honor to her husband because of what she brought in. Exactly. She took care of the home, yes. Exactly. She was a working woman. She was, I hate to to use the term housewife, but she took care of the home and the family, and and she was wise, and she had her investments. Yes. This, uh, the 10th commandment, the last of the 10 commandments, it warns us against sinful desires for another's goods against the inner evil which is the cause of outward evil that we're told that in Mark chapter 5 by Jesus when they were when they saw uh, his disciples eating they says why don't your 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 disciples or your students follow the cleansing laws and Jesus says hey it has nothing to do with the exterior it's the interior everything from within the heart is what defiles the man the things the urges that he has the things that he fulfills the things that he brings 
to fruition, if you will. Those are the things that would defile a man. We cannot judge each other's hearts. That's up to God. We can judge the deeds that we try to fulfill and pull off. Here in the 10th commandment, it is a sin that wears a cloak. I can't see people coveting. I can't see their inner parts. It's more or less a self-check for us to look upon ourselves. I cannot discern or detect it in somebody unless it comes, unless it comes to surface here. But coveting should not also be confused with wants and needs. We all need a house to live in. You know, we don't, we don't say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to obtain a house, especially that house right there. No, no, no. It, this here is also a protection against personal property of someone else's, anything. You see something that someone has and you so desire, that's all that you have in your mind is to obtain this here. That's jealousy. jealousy, envy, strife, it's basically all the same thing. Covetousness, you know, it would fall upon that. Now, here's another definition. Go to Isaiah chapter 14 of what it means to covet and basically where it came from. To covet is actually a form of pride also because it goes back to being self-serving. Isaiah chapter 14. And this is talking about where to covet for something um, had began from. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground. You who, were, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Verse 15 says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. These are what's known as the famous five I will statements by Lucifer. He says, you know what? God, I want your job. I want you. I want everything that you have. And this is what kicked him out of heaven. Iniquity, sin was found in Lucifer's heart here. That's what got him kicked out. He wanted God's job. He wanted God's position. And if you recall over in, in Revelation chapter 13, I believe, uh, 12, I'm sorry, to where he tried causing a war, a rebellion against God. What happened? The angels of God prevailed and kicked him out. So here we have pride, self-serving. It's an evil and disastrous thought here. Where does it come from? Well, now we see where this comes from. The 10th commandment not only forbids us to desire the material goods of another, but consider also, as, we, as Carly had said, envy the success, talents, beauty, or other qualities of our neighbor. What does it mean to covet? Go to James chapter 4. What does it mean to covet? It means to eagerly, eagerly desire that which belongs to another and set the heart upon it, where you just have your blinders on and nothing else is going to get in your way. James chapter 4. James chapter 4 verse 1. It says, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet 
and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Paul, he, or James here is talking about you cannot feed your own desires. You cannot ask God for your own glory or gratification. Jesus, remember when he says, you know, uh, even he says you do not have because you do not ask. Ask for the, seek ye first the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians, we're given three chapters on spiritual gifts, not so much for ourselves, but to edify and build upon the body as well as other believers. It's about the denial of the self, not the feeding of the self. And covetous, covetousness works like this. The eyes look upon an object, the mind admires it, the will goes over it, and the body moves in to possess it. Remember what happened to Eve in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. The serpent, how he lied or how he enticed her. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree? And she says, no, no, we can eat of any tree, but we just can't have this tree. As a matter of fact, we can't even touch it. Well, God didn't say that. The speculation is maybe Adam says, you know what? God says he has a set of rules. We cannot break them. He says if we do break them, we will die. As a matter of fact, don't even touch that tree. Don't look at it. Don't touch it kind of stuff. So he says, oh, come on. He basically, he called God a liar. He says he just doesn't want you to be like him. He doesn't want you to be smart like him. And so how she saw it and beheld it and she desired it for food and thought, hey, I want these attributes also he gave her his own pride because he wanted to be like god he says you know god doesn't want you to be like him knowing good from evil he enticed her to do that concerning pride also it's found in first john chapter 2 verse 15 now go over to romans chapter 7 and paul talks about how he didn't I guess, you know, a man, a, a scholarly man such as himself, really didn't understand what it meant to covet. He thought that the Ten Commandments all had to do about the exterior until he finally read this one portion here in the Ten Commandments. Uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren... You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear the fruit of God. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? 
Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. What did he say? He said, basically, there is a law here. And as long as the law exists, you have to abide by it, whether you like it or not. And he thought he was running righteously up until he got to the point, wait, I can't covet? I can't desire something of someone else's? So Paul here was exposed to like, oh my gosh, I'm a sinful man. And he even understood, if I broke one, I broke them all. James tells us that. My gosh, well, what, what hope is there for me? And the hope is that on our own accord, we cannot fulfill righteousness, no matter how hard we scrub and try. What can we do? Well, let me ask you then, what is it to covet again? What is the main definition of covet? Go to Matthew chapter 19. Let's ask the Lord and see what he says, what, to, what it means to covet. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And it says, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And see, he, here he has this young ruler. He's saying, what can I do? What, well, what of my works would be enough for me to obtain righteousness that I may inherit heaven? And isn't that the thinking of the world today? Oh, I'm a good person. I believe in, in treating right other people. You know, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. And I believe I fulfilled the Ten Commandments. Oh my gosh, really? Really? So then let the Lord here says, in verse 17, So he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is, God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. That's what he wants to hear. Right? And then in verse 18 there, he said to him, Well, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, looking at that list, it didn't say anything about the first four commandments concerning God. These were all works that he was able to perhaps even fulfill because in verse 20, the young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus didn't call him a liar here. In verse 21, he said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Get rid of your possessions, your belongings. Get rid of your idols here. What is keeping you from God? Anything here. Remove yourself from this anchor here. Verse 22 says, But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was bound here. He had coveted his his belongings, his treasures, and he made those his idol, his God. He had no relationship with God, yet he was fine with his fellow man. The covetous person would rather part with Jesus than with their earthly possessions. And coveting sets up a wall of division between man and God. God doesn't set it up. Man sets it up. He allows his desires to take him over. Now go over to Mark Next book over, Mark chapter 9. And this is concerning spiritual matters I'm coveting here. Mark chapter 9. 
And I tried making these in succession so you'll be able to flip on over easily. Mark chapter 9, verse 35, concerning now here spiritual covetousness. It says there in verse 35, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Now, wait a minute, what does that mean? Well, you have this quarreling here between the uh, apostles. Hey, you know, me first, no, me first, no, me first. I want to sit next to him, so I want to sit next to him. No, wait a minute. Jesus said, that's not about it, because when you do that, you're pushing your brother aside, you're concerned about yourself. You're desiring that top position. That's not what it's about. You know, you're holding the door open for yourself and letting it slam on your brother behind you. No, no, no. He says, you need to consider others first. Hold the door open for them. Let everyone enter in. Then you can go ahead and enter in last. Unfortunately, chivalry is almost lost in our today's society. I'm teaching my son how to hold hold the door open, not just for strangers, but also for ladies, too. And I can walk into a store and, you know, some, somebody walk in before me and they'll hold it, they won't hold the door open. They'll let it slam right before I get there. It's like, wow, you, you know, it, it's too hard just to wait a few more seconds. Well, that's not the point, but still. Anyway, back on track here. <laughs> Go to Luke chapter 20. Concerning our position, desiring better positions in society here. Luke chapter 20, verse 46. There are various things. Uh, levels of, of coveting. We just saw what it meant to covet spiritually. Now, how about in, in, in the in position in society here? Verse 46. It says, Jesus said, Beware of the scribes. And I love because he said this for all to hear in verse 45. He says, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for pretense make long prayers, these will receive greater condemnations. So here we got these people who say, well, look, I'm a religious leader here, and I deserve the best. Oh, here we go, Rabbi. Here's your favorite chair. Here's your favorite chair by the window. Here's your favorite seat. Sit at the front, and so on and so on. And, and recall how, and I think it was in, in Mark, Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, they have their reward. If this is all they desire is man's uh, praise and adoration, that's all they're going to get. And they're going to get it here on earth because when the time, the time they get to heaven, guess what they're going to have? They're going to be so disappointed if they make it to heaven, if they, if they get to collect $200 and pass go. Now go over to Luke chapter 12. Oh, I went back. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> now this is concerning material possessions again. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. It says, Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here we see a family squabble. How many times have you heard stuff like this? Well, we want to split the inheritance. Is it, is it really that important to tear up a family? Verse 14 says, But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge and an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Now isn't that contrary? Have you seen a lot of these bumper stickers and window stickers that says, He who dies with the most toys wins? What does he win? Jesus here is saying the contrary. Man's life does not define him by all, these, all his toys and possessions. 
Verse 16 says, Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those, then whose will those things be uh, which you have provided? So is he who lays up his treasure for himself and not rich toward God. What happens to your earthly belongings? They're going to get scattered in the wind. They're going to be ripped apart by whoever tries to uh, obtain your possessions. For all that you've built up, they're really nothing. And God says, he called him a fool. Hey, you fool. You built up for your earthly possessions, but guess what? You can't take them with you. All that you have... And it's interesting that Jesus says that he said in his heart all these things. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar had said as he stood out and he says, Oh, isn't this great Babylon? All these nice, look how awesome I am, all these things that I did. And what happened? God called him out upon that, right? Another, uh, another um, thing for covetousness is greed. We don't have enough. How much is enough? You get these uh, professional ball players who get paid in the hundreds and millions. My gosh. I recall this one basketball player. He was fairly good. And he hasn't played, I believe, in the past three years because he was offered $13 million to play for one season. He says, hey, my family's got to eat. He hasn't played since. No, one's has, no one has signed him in. Coveting can be considered the mother's sin, if you will. It, um, it has the ability it by itself to break all nine commandments before it. The covetous person has more than one God. All their possessions, right? A covetous person bows down, though not to a graven, graven image, but to the image of money or on money. For someone to claim they love God, yet they rely upon their wants. That would be breaking the third commandment. The fourth commandment, a covetous person does not keep the Sabbath. Why honor God when you're after the things of the world? I've got to work this day. I've got to make more money. I recall as a child, even as early in the the early 70s, we used to live in Hacienda, no, I'm sorry, in the 60s, we used to live in Hacienda Heights and travel to Los Angeles to visit my grandparents and the roads would be wide open on Sundays. You, you had better done all your shopping during the week because if you needed something, good luck, none of the stores were open. And it wasn't, I believe, until the mid-70s when everything started booming open again. And what, um, It's unfortunate how things came upon. The breaking of the fifth commandment, a person, the covetous person would rather take care of other things in the guise of charity rather than taking care of their parents. Remember how the scribes and Pharisees uh, went to Jesus and they said um, um, how he called them a bunch of hypocrites. You have money set aside to take care of your parents, but you're calling it, you're, you're saying you're laying it aside for uh, tithes and offerings into, into the, uh, the temple there. You need to take care of your parents first. And remember how he called them upon that. The breaking of the sixth commandment. Remember, you shall not murder. What did uh, the sin of of Ahab and Jezebel, what they did to Naboth, how she had them 
had him killed by false witnesses just so that they can obtain the land right next door. The seventh commandment can be broken by a covetous person would greatly, who would greatly lust after someone else's spouse. David and Bathsheba. Uh, concerning the eighth commandment, the, co- uh, the covetousness is, uh, is the root of theft. I'm too lazy to work for it. As a matter of fact, I don't want to pay that much for it. I will take yours. People break in and steal other people's belongings. And then for bearing false witness, a covetous person, just because they are jealous or envious of another person, they feel that they're inferior or feel that they might even be superior in laying claim against someone else, that which is false. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. It's right after Galatians, right after the Corinthian letters, after Colossians. I'm sorry, I said Ephesians, didn't I? <laughs> it went too far. Ephesians chapter 5. Concerning coveting, God absolutely, positively hates it. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5, it says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Covetousness brings about God's anger. In Isaiah chapter 57, verse 17, it says, For the iniquity of his covetousness, I was angry and struck him. I hid and was angry, and he was and he went on backsliding in the way of his heart. A covetous heart is more worried about receiving than giving. Now, what is a cure for covetousness? Number one would be contentment. Contentment with all that God has given us. As I've said before last week, you know, I would love to win the lottery. <laughs> but I, and when I consider all things, really, I am happy and content with all that God has given me. And I am richer than most men. And it has nothing to do with possessions, but because of our riches in Christ and all that He has to offer us. And trust. Another cure for covetousness would be trust. We would trust that God would provide for all of our needs. How many times have we been, especially earlier in our lives, or including even now, financial issues, dire straits that we might have fallen into, and yet we still come out because of the Lord. The waves on the water there, coming into the boat, pouring in, threatening to make us sink. But God, in His mercy, as the last pail is almost, you know, one more pail, Lord, and, uh, and we're going we're gonna to sink, and He comes through. Trust. Trust. Whatever obstacles that we have in our lives, we have a walkway that we have through here. We have this huge boulder we can't get around. Well, Lord, I trust you in that. And no problem how bigger, how much big the situation might be. Yet it's that pebble in our shoe that makes us irritated and how we sometimes seem to forget the goodness of our God. Now, why do we keep the law? In Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. In John chapter 14, verse 21, it says, He who has my commandments and keeps them 
It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. That is John chapter 14, verse 21. And his commandments, remember, he says, love God with all that you are. Love each other. Deny yourself. It has nothing to do, it's nothing, it's not about you. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. When we consider these Ten Commandments and all that the Lord has done for us and has waiting for us, it's not as burdensome as we try like on the hamster wheel, how you see this hamster get on the wheel, rotating, rotating, and running, not going anywhere, achieving for whatever they're trying to run for, versus us, how Jesus says, my yoke is not heavy. It's not a burden. And if you consider how your life was previously before you became a Christian, how free are you really? You are free. I'm not tied down by the world, by its wants, and by its needs. I'm not trying to impress anyone else. I have a hard time trying to impress myself. In Matthew chapter 22, let's go to Matthew chapter 22. We've already mentioned this, but it's worth going over again. Matthew chapter 22. And verse 35. It is. It's a real blessing here. It says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Remember how Jesus says, I had not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he said, I believe in Psalm chapter 40, how he says, Lo, the, how the volume of the book is written about me. So when we try, when, when something doesn't seem right, you just try to put Christ in the middle of it. We see the Ten Commandments there. Put Jesus in the middle of it and how he fulfilled all these things. In James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. An unsaved person cannot keep God's commandments, no matter how good they think they are. Why does God permit an inability in man to keep the law? We have the Ten Commandments here, and you see how, how the secular world would try to remove them from courthouses, from federal houses, from public displays. It's because God is holding up a mirror. We see the Ten Commandments as a mirror. We try to measure our own goodness upon something else, right? And we could say, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. Regardless, we are all still sinful people. Yet the mirrors hold up to us, and we can see how dirty we are. Well, what do we have to wash it off with? And that is with the blood of Christ, the work that he had done for us. So if, if we are unable to, to um, carry through, to perform the Ten Commandments, then why did God bring those out? And like I said, it's hopefully that sinful man would see how dirty he is himself. 
Now, what if someone doesn't believe in the Ten Commandments? There is in man a desire to want to do good. I mean, how do we know the difference between good and evil? It wasn't just there. It was something that's born upon us. How does a two-year-old know that they lie? If you say, okay, now don't touch that, otherwise it'll break, and you walk away, you hear a crash. What happened? Well, all of a sudden they start coming up with a tall story. Well, I didn't do it. The kitty came by, jumped on it, even though you told me not to touch it, you know, the kind of stuff like that. Who did? Did you do that? No. Who taught a child how to lie? We spent raising children, teaching them the right way. Man has it in himself to want to worship something, has a desire to want to fulfill what is right. And God has given us signs. We see the stars in the heaven. We see creation. We can look at each other. We can contemplate where we're going after this life. Why are we here? If man decides that he doesn't need the Ten Commandments, then he's just fooling himself. He's just trying to self-justify his own existence. Now, Jesus obeyed all the Ten Commandments. It is through his works that we rely upon. He fulfilled the first commandment. Where it says, You shall not have no other gods before me. Jesus always pointed to the Father and says, There is only one true God. And the second commandment says, You shall not make yourself a carved or a graven image. In his day, he was dealing, especially in the New Testament, where he was dealing with the religiosity, how the religious leaders said, you need to do this and this and this. You have to have works in order to obtain faith. And they, ha- and they made such a burden for the people, especially on the Sabbath day. But Jesus encouraged a relationship, referring to God as your Father. You, shall not have no, you don't need any graven images. You need that relationship with God. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Jesus represented the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. He, he fulfilled, I don't want to say his destiny, but his position. He fulfilled it. He, people say, well, he was a good scholar. He was a good teacher. He was a good prophet and so on. No, he is God in human form. Remember the Sabbath day, the fourth commandment. Jesus kept the true Sabbath. He was found in the temple teaching, preaching, and healing. Honor your father and your mother. He took the trade of his stepfather as a carpenter. And he also provided for his mother as he hung on the cross in John chapter 19. Remember where, he, where John brought, him, or brought Mary with him at the foot of the cross. And Jesus says, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. From that day on, John took care of her. As the eldest child, it was his job to take care of his parents. You shall not murder. Jesus had a righteous anger. Recall the times he cleansed the temple. My favorite one was in John chapter 2, where he made a whip of cords and he drove them out of the temple. You know what? Here's a, here's a paddle. You're going to get your spanking here. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9, it says, He hadn't done no violence concerning the suffering servant. You shall not commit adultery. Jesus overcame all fleshly desires. Remember when he was tempted in the desert for 40 days. Satan came to him and tried to induce the pride of life upon him. Three different temptations, and yet he overcame them all. You shall not steal. Jesus taught us to rely that God would provide for our every need. 
Remember he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, it says, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about it. God will provide for you. If he can dress the lilies of the field, if he can provide for these other animals and so on, don't be worried about it. Don't worry about possessions. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness. Jesus is known as the faithful and true witness in Revelation chapter 19. You shall not covet. Covetousness was not found in him. Uh, various times through all the, the, um, throughout the times in front of Pilate, he said, I find no fault in this man. No fault. Jesus had a desire. He told his friends in the upper room, I have a desire, I have a great desire to have this Passover feast with you, but I will not do it again until we enter into the kingdom. You shall not covet. It's a denial of the self. Denial of your own personal needs, of your own personal drive to knock your fellow man aside or to rip him off. What God says here, do not covet, is contrary to what's written in the Satanic Bible. It says, honor yourself and do what you will, whatever you want. And that's also where they say where the 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 strong only the strong shall survive it's a satanic theme to fall into those things and that is the end praise god of all the 10 commandments that it's quite a long list but what can we do with these things who can be saved what hope is there and recall how i how i how i mentioned to you that where Jesus says, all sin is forgiven of man. Well, I did this and this and this. I broke every single one of those commandments. I take comfort in God. And Jesus said, all sin. All sin is forgiven of man with the exception of the one. And that is blasphemy of the Spirit. If you deny his works, guess what? You will be eternally separated from God. There is the redemption, uh, not, not the redemption, but the repentance, that factor that comes along with it. Yes, Lord, you know what? I'm sorry I committed all of these sins. But repent, return, turn back, turn away, go away from these things, and you will be forgiven if you call upon the name of Christ. All these Ten Commandments, like I've said, there are ten rules that we cannot follow, but praise God that one had fulfilled these. It's We're not without hope. The hope lies in the works of our Lord and Savior and all that He's done for us. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, thank You, Lord, so much for these past few weeks in learning, Father, of Your commandments. What an awesome, awesome, Father, concept that You love us so much that obviously as people, Lord, as human beings, we have issues with these ten items here. You, Lord, there are no other gods there are no other gods, Father. There are no images that can take your place, no thoughts or concepts that would take your place. Help us, Lord, to live as Christians, Father, as we would be labeled. Help us, Lord, to remember. We are apt to forget, but to take time off to worship you, to adore you, to pray, to have fellowship with you, Lord, as well as one another. Consider all the goodness, Lord.
We thank you, Father, for our parents. We thank you, Lord, for the situations that help us in changing who we are today, Lord. We pray, Father, also for forgiveness if there is any other uh, angry thought that we might have had throughout our past, Lord, against other people. We also pray, Lord, for forgiveness if we might have taken anybody's dignity, slandered them, uh, property in any way. Of any wrongs, Lord, as you, as you have told us, Lord, forgive us our trespasses as those who we will forgive others who've trespassed against us. And Father, we just pray in, by your strength, by your spirit, and by your grace that we would never ever covet, Lord, that would lead us to breaking all these other commandments. We pray, Father, that we would just be drawn closer to you, be strengthened by you, Lord, and help us, Father, to glorify you, not ourselves, Lord, but to glorify you and give you thanksgiving and praise in all that we do, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.